Hello everyone and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke. And me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversation. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations. Welcome to episode 22 of Changing Conversations and tonight I'm joined by Dermot Lawler. Um, Dermot, how are you? Really good, thanks. Good to see you. Good, you too. Um, can I ask you to start by introducing yourself to our listeners? Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so I, I'm Dermot and, and I'm from Ireland and uh, <laughs> I currently work with the Scottish Futures Trust and I'm an associate director with the company and my role is around place and, and my interest in place is is uh, where people are that makes them who they are and how they are and I say I'm from Ireland because I, I grew up in a pub uh, beside a crossroads near a field in the middle of nowhere and I remember when I was growing up thinking it was an odd place to put a pub and a shop where there's no people but then over time you discover that it's a visible network in an invisible set of things you know it becomes a place of meaning so I guess my interest is is exactly that the places of meaning that make us who we are yeah interesting so let's let's build on that let's start with your why or your purpose and I know from conversations with you and I know from having done a little bit of work alongside you on a couple of occasions that you bring a lot of passion to your work but you've maybe touched on it slightly, but where does that passion come from? What what really drives you in the work that you do? Uh, I, I believe in people mm -hmm. pretty much. And uh, I believe in challenge and I believe in, um, I believe in the possibilities of everyone and everywhere to transform. And I think that some of that kind of came from, you know, growing up in this kind of pub it's funny your formative experience comes back mm -hmm. over and over and over and um people would come into our uh, shop and they had a we had a little credit uh, book so some people would get um groceries on credit mm -hmm. and we knew that number of the people were on social welfare and dependencies but they came back every week on time every time and mm -hmm. um, and despite the lack of means they were able to be really creative in the way that they dealt with life and the way they dealt with hardship and the way they dealt with things so I found that life was a curriculum you know mm -hmm. every person that came in was a different story everyone had a different struggle everyone had a different potential and it was a great uh, privilege to be part of that for sure you're a shopkeeper and it's a customer there's a transaction of it but over and above that you start to see people and I think when you engage with people all flavors of people Mm -hmm. you start to learn that we are magnificently capable of doing amazing stuff but that often looks super ordinary mm -hmm. and I, I'm interested in that I'm interested in the 
in the ordinariness. I'm interested in the resilience and confidence it takes to negotiate with yourself, not to leave a place, but to transform how you see the world. So I grew up thinking, if you stay in this place, there must be something wrong with you. And then I go back and meet the people that stayed in the place and realize that they in themselves had transformed in ways that I had never done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm quite interested in that. And, and, and how that then relates to work, I think that it's really important to understand that I'm not an expert in your life. Mm-hmm. I can't possibly be. So I'm in a relationship with communities and people about making decisions about what to invest in, how to invest in all of that kind of stuff. So if that is the decision, what should we invest in? Conversation, time, money. Mm-hmm. Then we need a really kind of clear idea of the what and the why. And I believe you can only do that by talking to people. And I believe we can only really do that if you if you construct humility from the offset and, mm-hmm. and invite people into the conversation so they share with you and you share with them. And, and then you start to get to the richness of things so i'm interested in people Mm. what would you say your superpower is um patterns patterns Mm -hmm. um i think my superpower is uh listening to what some people feel is amorphous chat cheating chat you know and she's going nowhere and we don't know what's happening and i find that uh in many conversations and workshops and stuff there's a lot of redundancy so mm-hmm. there's loads of words flowing around, mm, loads of words mm-hmm. flowing around. But sometimes people spin words to try and make sense. Yeah. So it's like a little vortex and the same basic point goes on. So if you wait long enough, you'll start to see that a pattern emerges. So there's hundreds of words, mm. but not that many substantive points. So my super scale, I suppose, or my power, if I have it, is to start seeing patterns. There's risks with that because you, you start, but but mm-hmm. I've realized that a great way to do it is to listen. That's it. Mm-hmm. To listen. And then um, to I do really fast PowerPoints. And so in workshops, I move around, I listen, I pretend to be invisible. It's quite difficult for a 47-year-old Irish bloke to <laughs> pretend he's invisible. But I kind of um, hang around and listen look for the patterns and the redundancy, and then either on a flip chart and a PowerPoint, do four boxes or three circles, which try and capture the essence of what I heard. And I've also learned that it's really important to own, this is what I hear, not what you said necessarily, this is what I hear. Yeah. And I find sometimes in the in that process, you, you know, the person speaks, I observe, I capture a sense of it. And I find that it often helps people to move to the next step. It's kind of go, oh yeah, that's that's good. That's roughly where we are. So therefore, what we need to do is X. So I guess listening and drawing. Mm-hmm. Good skills. Good <laughs> <to have. laughs> now, we first met at an education conference. Um, yeah. And, you know, school buildings don't really appear to have changed an awful lot over the years. There are mm-hmm. lots of new school buildings or it feels like there's lots of new school buildings um but have they really changed that much and i know that scotland's learning estate strategy has the ambition of connection of connecting people places and learning so Mm -hmm. i'm interested from your perspective how can we kind of bring this this ambition to life in our schools what does that mean 
Yeah, no, it's a good question. And um, every time I think about questions like that, I think of Siena in Italy. Okay. Um, uh, because Siena is like, a, I've never been there, by the way, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've seen pictures of it. It looks really stunning, medieval Italian place, you know, with kind of beautiful mm -hmm. ochre buildings and tiles and, you know, and sunshine, that stuff that we don't get so much. Here. <laughs> um, and and it's well known in kind of architecture and urban design terms because it creates beautiful public spaces and streets. And let's say, I don't know, it's 500 years old, mm. but hasn't changed physically in roughly 500 years. Yeah. But what happens inside it has changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. The behaviors have changed dramatically. The activities have changed dramatically. The relationships have changed dramatically. And, and I often think that why didn't we knock it down and build a new version of it every time the world changed? Mm. And partly it's because people kind of thought, God, that's a lot of work. <laughs> or, or people kind of go, well, you know, if we just tweak this and sort that and move that, it is not the perfect new ideal thing, but it's perfect for us because mm. we can make this thing work. So I guess for me on the school building bit, I think about, I think about this recently, now, if we if we take that image and we often say, right, um, the problem is that the teacher's at the front with the blackboard and that hasn't changed in 50 years, 100 years or 200 years and stuff. And that's that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. However, if we look at the introverts in the class mm -hmm. and if we look at um, some of the conditions that have shifted in the class. So mm -hmm. if we think about Pink Floyd's um, um, song about, you know, another brick in the wall. One of the things that used to really hurt me, listen to that, was to touch the violence that used to happen in the relationship with teachers and, and, and children. Mm -hmm. That's not there anymore. It's not yeah. the same. So we've created a different condition to be in the, in the physical class. That's one fundamental shift. Mm -hmm. Same building, different condition. So now bring it to the, to the introvert. The introvert now kind of feels, I can be here and I can observe what the teacher's doing. I can observe what my pals are doing. I can use this time to observe and choose when I want to present. Mm -hmm. That's different. Did we have to knock down the buildings? No. Mm -hmm. Did we have to change the rules of behavior? Absolutely. So I suppose my point is, is this. Should we build new buildings? Yes. Mm -hmm. Does that mean everything else we have is no good? No. Mm -hmm. uh, can we make a lot more of what we have? Absolutely. Does that mean changing the buildings? Sometimes. Does it mean changing relationships? Yes, absolutely yes. And I think connecting people, places and learning for me is about uh, three things. Number one, it's about situated learning. It's about accepting that whoever you are, wherever you are, offers the opportunity of amazing learning. Like me in my shop on my crossroads, <laughs> learning about life, yeah. So I, I would I would I would first look for situated learning and to to put value on the places we're in and say there is learning here. There is learning here. The curriculum asks us to do certain things, fair enough, but there is learning here. Let's use it. Mm. Number two, I would like to see some of that situated learning in relationships, not a PowerPoint of what a relationship looks like in a classroom. I would like to see the learning happening in relationship. So it, it, in my world. There were grumpy old farmers that were awesome with animals. If you wanted to learn about biology, you went down there. 
and you worked out how to communicate with that person and then they would show you. And sometimes the pivotal moment happens because the two people get each other and now they're able to kind of do it. So in every place we're in, be it a fishing village or a post-industrial village or a recovery community from drugs, there is learning there. There are people there. So instead of focusing on school, the building, we could look at community, the learning, and then situate some of that in relationships. Thirdly, I think it would be quite good to give people spatial agency. So uh, move the seat, take the door off, paint the wall, not magnolia. <laughs> you know and and play around with the space you know a bit like every so often we change our sitting room and 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 give people agency so allow a young person to change the table and see what happens and change it back but that isn't about physical stuff it's yeah. about permission and it and it's about also as you change around that you're kind of going oh my god you know if it's all untidy how do we know learning's happening it's because we can ask we can observe we can do so I, I i think if we're able to do situated learning put value on every person in every place then we can create a really powerful context for learning and stop looking at somewhere else and someone else and something awesome it's here secondly it's the relationship the the relationship matters thirdly it's about the permission and weirdly if we build new buildings what would i look to see i would love to see a new building that uses the entirety of the place it's in as a context for learning. I would love to see new buildings that invite, provoke, cajole, um, insist on new and different types of relationships. So the building is just one part of a network of things. And I would love to see new buildings that give everyone permission to try, to change, to stop, to fail. Because it's about learning, isn't it? Yeah. As opposed to presenting for the teaching. Yeah. And you said earlier there that we could, you know, probably make more of what we have. And yep. you've given us some like, you know, those three pointers about how we might do that. But are there other things that we could do to make more use of the spaces that we have, do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think one way of thinking about it is about thinking of journeys. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going walking up a hill, um, how I do that is I decide I'm going walking up a hill. I arrive at the hill and then I realize I have brought no food. <laughs> I have brought no water, I have brought no kind of stuff. Yeah. So you prepare for it, right? And mm -hmm. then you then move through the sequence of things. So I think one way of making more of what we already have is to think of the journey of different users of the same spaces mm -hmm. and then look at the decision points, the, the welcome points, the decision points, the change points. Where is it? What's happening? Who's in it? What are they allowed to do? And for me, uh, I'm really interested in the design of welcome. I'm really interested in that. And sometimes people think that means, you know, a, a really nice red front door at the entrance of the school. Maybe it is, or maybe it's just a welcome on Facebook or whatever. But mm -hmm. whatever that welcome is, at some point in the school, grounds and building, you need to see it and you need to feel it. And so, so one practical space I feel is that the entrance spaces of schools sometimes could be more community facing. So mm -hmm. rather than just being offices or the space where there's some fantastic front staff, we could change those and we could liberate that. That could be a space for community, a space for learning, space for change. So one is to look at that. Two is to look at the outside environment within and around the school as a context for learning, mm -hmm. not with fancy kit, but, but 
no matter what it is, it's going to say, well, if it's a, it's a, if it's a tarmac yard bereft of love, <laughs> so, so aesthetics have left the neighborhood, it's a tarmac <laughs> yard. Then for me, the context is create. Mm. So stick stuff in it, paint stuff in it, plant stuff in it, create, make it a landscape, make. If it's near a wood, discover, you know, so the verb is important. If nothing's in front of you, make it. If something's in front of you, get curious. Yeah. Third, um, I think that within spaces, that we, we when I worked with Architectural Design Scotland, we had this really fun but important thing called tests of change. Mm -hmm. And we would get cardboard boxes, you know, crisp boxes or whatever. And then we would talk to young people about how might we change this classroom? And sometimes the teacher would be kind of going, I don't think we will do that. And then other times teachers say, well, let's go for it. So we'd ask the, the young people like, you know, what, what, what are the different ways that you might learn? What might you do? Clear out all the tables mm -hmm. um, and then get them to start organizing using the boxes. And it is really interesting to see what they do. They always create nooks, always. They always create space to hide and they always create space to discover. And the thing with the boxes is that you can put them down, take them away but it gives you clues about how you might change. It also gives you clues about how you might interact with that changed environment before mm -hmm. you buy fancy kit, before you knock down fancy walls, mm -hmm. before you start doing stuff. So let the young people guide us. And you can frame that either as a leadership exercise. So, you know, it's about how they lead, or you can frame that as a briefing exercise or a transformation exercise, but give it meaning. Don't just play with boxes, give it meaning. And, and once you've used that learning, then you can choose, uh, you know what, we could do that more permanently with tables. We can knock that wall, shift it down and stuff. So that would give you three things. Yeah. It would to make the welcome real, mm -hmm. it would make the outside useful, and it would to make the inside dynamic. And you could do that with, uh, you could do that with spare paint from the house. Mm -hmm. You could do that, uh, get the parents if they want to raise the money, which they often do. And yeah. sometimes that raising of money is with good intentions misplaced in its direction. Mm -hmm. So you got a context for that. Uh, could it be linked to PEF? Maybe. Could it be linked to transformation? Maybe. Could it take time? Hopefully. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be done on a weekend? No. Does mm -hmm. it mean we can change stuff? Absolutely. So, do, so does that allow us to see the learning environment as an ecosystem constantly changing? Yes. Mm -hmm. So make, make the entrance real make the outside useful and make the inside dynamic. Yeah. And I'm very conscious that as we were talking, there are lots of restrictions in place in schools that is having an impact on how people interact, how they relate to the space, um, what's accessible to them. Um, and so I'm interested, you know, what impact do you think the pandemic has had on our relationship with place and space? Uh, in, 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 so at one level, it's too early to tell, mm -hmm. you know, in, in terms of the, 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 the fullness of it. Um, but there are parts of it that, like in the middle of lockdown, I remember walking down the street and trying to understand that the right thing to do was to avoid and move away from the person coming close to me. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of a dissonance in your mind that that protection is distance and i, I found I, I found and still feel 
um, a kind of grief around mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. um, I find and still feel a kind of worry around an extended set of protocols around avoidance. Yeah. Because avoidance is a strategy that we all use when we are all, but but we need to run at danger sometimes. And we, you know, so yeah. we need to be we need to be um respectful of the virus. But I think there is something around maintaining the curiosity to connect. So mm -hmm. if we can't physically connect, it's maintain that kind of curiosity. So so that's important to me because I, I, I think that what we don't want to do is to create an invisible protocol that we can't see for years yeah. in young people that, that the rule for them is it's not safe to connect. That's mm -hmm. okay. I think ways of addressing that are to use outside. Mm -hmm. And I know all the rehearsed arguments about that, you know, mm -hmm. it's cold, isn't it just? It's wet. Indeed it is. It's yeah. difficult. At times it is. But it's ironic that with all those conditions in place, that is the safest environment. Yeah. And in the middle of lockdown, that's where we were. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's something around um, using the outside to deal with the bridge between fear and curiosity. What, what's the worst that can happen outside is that we can just explore and discover. So if inside becomes highly regulated, which it is, Mm -hmm. that outside becomes the potential antidote and now we can then start to curate the day so we've got more regulated less regulated the in-between bits so we're starting to kind of get um contradictions and tensions and stuff into the day and we can learn right so we can learn when is it appropriate to be in this environment and what's what's a what's acceptable what's not how far how close all of these things outside mm -hmm. what's acceptable what's not how far how close is it the same as the world that was? No. But are we just giving in to avoidance? No. Are we trying to be risky with the pandemic? No. But I think it's about it's about it's about the thing that people are good at to be creative about the problem, yeah. you know, and to take permission and to find agency and and be kind. Mm. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I was just thinking coming into this is that. This is an extraordinarily difficult time for teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, at the front line, it's almost a like in a kind of moment where it, it must feel, I'm sure, sometimes where you just can't get it right. You're trying to protect everyone, mm -hmm. but sometimes it feels as if the media is against you, or maybe there's parental voice that's critical, and there's the regulatory environment that's difficult. And within that, I'm sure it must be hugely stressful. So I'm not trying to instruct people or, or 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 but i suppose it's it's uh it's a hope it's mm -hmm. a hope that we can use space to take permission create agency and be curious about the bridge between fear and curiosity mm. and you're you're right that certainly during lockdown so many people turn to being outdoors as the thing that helped them to kind of get through the thing that gave them a sense of of well-being and connection and for a lot of people that was maybe something that they hadn't done before mm -hmm. um, and it was almost like there was a big discovery of the outdoor world and people started to notice things and um, I like all those kind of videos and photographs where like nature started to take back its environment in a way which was fascinating and and and, and I think that that's really important um, but every 
where somebody is, there is an outside. Mm -hmm. It may not look like a mountain. It may not look like a lake. And so if we look outside and kind of go, well, it's concrete and it's ugly, you can go, well, fair enough, but it's outside. Yeah. And in that outside, there will be a different beauty that will appear and present to you. And, and you know, when you sit in the outside kind of concrete world, uh, sometimes my, one of my favorite places in the world is to sit on the edge of a pier, not on the seat that somebody has insisted I should sit on, <laughs> looking at the back end of a car. It's on the wall of a pier. It's yeah. to feel the rugged concrete and the kind of rusty bit that the ship ties up on and the, the smell of things and the, the rough and readiness, the engineering of it. If you sit there long enough, you'll hear the sea and you'll see the birds and you'll see the cracked up trawler coming in. And then you kind of go, well, this is the scene in front of me and there's joy in this scene. So I think that for me, there's something around the outside about making sure that we don't frame it with a lens of uh, it must look like something else. Yeah. It, it just is what it is. It's yeah. outside. That's it. Yeah. And that's that's absolutely Right, because I think my default probably is to think of something that looks very pretty and very rugged or very like coastal kind of thing. But you're right, outside is outside. And actually at the moment, I'm getting up and going out for a walk early in the morning and it's pitch black. And because it's pitch black, I am just walking, you know, round the, the mm -hmm. streets and the houses as opposed to other places I would normally walk. Um, yeah. And at first I thought, oh, I'm not sure I like this or what's the point of this? But it's exactly what you said. The point is that it's outside, not how pretty it is or the fact that I can't see anything because it's pitch black. It's yeah, but it, it's an experience as well because you're moving through space with you, your thoughts and the presence of other people with yeah. lights and the, you know, so that's a, it, it's an experience. Yeah. Same thing in the daytime, very different experience for I think young people are experts in this mm. and you know they're they're experts in wanting to get onto construction sites because it's exciting okay. they're experts in farmyards where the old tractor is there rusting you mm. know and I can still see my brothers and cousins and stuff always wanting to go down to the shed behind my uncle's house where the sawmill was to get on to a Davy Brown tractor that had not moved for 50 years <laughs> so that each kid could sit and pretend it was the engine of the tractor. Yeah. They could be there for hours, literally yeah. hours on a piece of rusty steel in the middle of weeds. Mm -hmm. And for them, they're in a world, you know, and, and uh, is it the most environmental? Probably not. Um, is it to do with ecology? That's not their frame. Mm -hmm. Their frame is about imagination, but it's outside and it comes with all the potential and the risk and the agency of them choosing and weirdly often mostly they get lost a bit but they tend to kind of stay safe weirdly you know and they just tend to stay with it so i, I think there's something around sometimes we over regulate outside space because mm -hmm. we're scared of it or indifferent to it whereas when you when when you kind of just accept it it's a space it's outside you can yeah. do stuff then it becomes a space of potential doesn't mean you have to do anything. It just, it's not a trap. Yeah. And I sometimes feel the outside for some people feels, uh, I'm less convinced that the reason people don't go outside is because it's windy and rainy. <laughs> and I'm more convinced is because we're not sure how to be outside. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of it. Why don't we just test it out? Yeah.
I like that. Test it out and be creative. Um, speaking of creativity, I know that last month you attended the Creative Bravery Festival, which is quite mm -hmm. nice, along with Education Scotland, Lego was there, I think, and many others. Um, what did you learn or what did you unlearn about bravery at that festival? Um, what I learned about bravery was the way that they that that, that whole festival ho was hosted was really interesting mm. uh, so paul from hidden giants uh, and hanukkah and karen from the collective leadership a number of people hosted these kind of um fireside digital fireside chats mm. uh, running into it it wasn't agenda led it wasn't you know it's was just kind of come and talk present and and just present mm -hmm. so you you didn't necessarily know who was there, what was going to be. So one thing I learned about bravery was to present. Mm. Not, not a PowerPoint presentation. It's just uh, click the damn button and go in. So just go in. And that's what people did. And and sometimes um, I also noticed that in some of those sessions, people held silences competently mm. rather than kind of going, all right, well, we need to move on now. And the, the outcomes of this and the actions are, and, and to be able to hold silence confidently, I thought it was really good because it gave people permission to be, mm -hmm. be here, be thinking, be what. So, so there was something around that process, the journey towards it was interesting. So that was number one. Um, the, I, 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 I was in a couple of sessions and one of them uh, that I attended was the Mini Munich uh, Festival mm -hmm. uh, uh, initiative where in Every two years in Munich, um, they create a pop-up version of the city for young people. So uh, the mayor is elected by young people and the shop is run by young people and the school is run by young people. And, and so it's almost like um, real world learning, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they're, they're learning how to run the city. It's a citizenship thing. So it's a, it's a summer and it's, it was amazing and the people did it. Yeah, uh, who's running it now? Used to be a kid in the thing, so they've you know moved through it, and now they're, they're the leaders and stuff. So it's really, really powerful, engaging, um, fascinating bit. And and the 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 bit for me, the unlearning bit was uh, was to resist the magpie temptation of kind of going, <laughs> oh, we should do that. I want that. Let, let's do it like that. No, well, let's do that. And and. And I did another day and, and, and you know, because it's such a powerful thing. But the bravery thing was to say, wait a second, wait. Just like we did in the kind of journey into it, wait yeah. and sit. What are we trying to repeat here? What are we actually looking at? And, um, and why would we want this? It's not that it's a bad thing, it's an amazing thing, but why, why? And, and so one of them was to kind of, not just to be present, but also to voice why, you know, in the discussion. So when the energy seems to be all about, let's do it, it's to ask. So that, that was kind of good. For me, one of the, 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 the things that that made me focus on is, this is Scotland, not Munich. Mm -hmm. um, so what does a version of the outcomes that this project is achieving in Scotland look like and there was a moment in the mini music um, presentation where normally what happens is that they're in a very big shed or uh, conference space and the, and the and the city is a is a made city so that you know they make it up and kids make uh, buildings and structures and stuff but it's within 
a defined space. Mm -hmm. But then in COVID, they couldn't do that because you can't all do the gathering and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so the Mini Munich Mayor uh, located in the actual Mayor's Hall in the Rathaus. Mm -hmm. And the school pretend they, you know, the, the Mini Munich uh, teacher taught in the school, and the Mini Munich uh, supermarket manager worked in the supermarket, you know, mm -hmm. because of bubbles and stuff. And I kind of thought, um, we've got plenty of um, institutional spaces, we've got plenty of schools and stuff, so we don't need to create a pop up one, I think. Mm -hmm. We need to create space and relationship to allow these people to be present. The, the creative bravery thing for me was about relearning how to be silent comfortably, mm -hmm. how to present, how to ask the question why, how to situate around outcomes and then start to imagine what's possible here as opposed to going, we'll take that. Yeah. And, and I, I think for all of that, that, that you know, uh, that was a lot for me, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in different things. And um, it also challenged me to be present, not just in the festival, but within my organization, mm -hmm. because the organization is about decisions and infrastructure and investment and stuff. And I guess what it encouraged me to do is not to hide that interest that I have. Just yeah. say, well, this is part of me. It's a dimension of me. Part of the value of who I am is about being curious about stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, if I, if I can do that and I'm authentic to that and then I'm responsive to your needs, I'll do the job, but I'll carry the curiosity, which I think um, brings me back to the super sauce at the beginning. Yeah, and definitely that um, curiosity is something that I I recognise in you and can absolutely see and have experienced in the in the kind of opportunities that we've had over time um, to connect. You've given us loads to to think about there, and it's always a pleasure to chat to you. But before I let you go, we have three questions that we always finish our podcasts with. So the first question is, um, what did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be a submarine driver. A submarine driver. Well, that's the first would-be submarine driver we've had. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, the pathways from school were limited for that particular opportunity. <laughs> so yeah, a submarine driver, that was me. Wow. Brilliant. And um, what are you reading at the moment, either for work or pleasure? Yeah, so uh, weirdly, it's for pleasure. So um, uh, we go down to uh, secondhand bookshops most weeks and browse. My, my son is interested in comics and mm -hmm. my daughter's interested in, in, in books about women leaders, actually. She's really interested and inspired by, by women. And then I, I'm confronted with all these books and I always go, <laughs> oh, 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 which one should I? So I chose this one a couple of weeks ago, and it's called Adults in the Room mm -hmm. by uh, Yanis Varoufakis, so the ex-finance minister of, of Greece. Mm -hmm. And um, he wrote a stunning book to his daughter explaining how uh, global economics work. And, and I find it really accessible and I can understand it. And he's got a perspective on life, but he described it, you know, in a very accessible way. He was able to draw on Greek mythology Mm -hmm. on the kind of uh, the Greek restructuring, the crisis, on personal insights that they shared as families and just brought it together as this just beautiful mm -hmm. description of life. And lastly, do you have a quote or a message that you'd like to leave our listeners with? 
uh, one of the words that I'm, I think about a lot at the moment is, is, is leadership, is mm -hmm. leadership. And um, I keep thinking about um, who have I learned most about that word from? Mm -hmm. and, and um i always think of the same person and it's a guy called gordon wilson um whose daughter was was killed in a bombing in northern ireland mm -hmm. and uh, and at the time you know she died in his arms and it was terrible and and that particular bombing was really horrendous and i'm from the south of ireland and this was in the north and so we're on the same landmass but separated by radically different experiences but i'm in my living room looking at this television seeing this scene unfold and then um this man said that he forgave mm. and that was like a couple of hours after this thing and i remember literally being floored by this mm -hmm. and it was the most powerful intervention in a crisis i have ever witnessed mm -hmm. that somebody who had been through something so difficult mm -hmm. was able to draw on his beliefs and his authenticity and his humanity and and say okay i'm, I'm grieving here mm -hmm. but i forgive you and i'm not asking for repercussions and i'm not giving you permission whoever you are mm -hmm. to do other stuff on my behalf i'm asking you to let it lie i forgive you stop i reckon that that was a pivotal moment in that crisis it was certainly a pivotal moment in that weekend and it's interesting then when you think about he became an activist and became a politician and, and like everyone you know some of what he did worked and some of what he didn't did didn't if you like and, and and it's kind of an interesting one in that was he a natural politician i'm not sure he was mm. um he was kind of propelled into that role because of the thing but was he was he an amazing leader with lots and lots and lots of, of, of teaching, yes. And I quite like it because it's not Nelson Mandela yeah. and it's not Richard Branson mm. and it's not a bloody management book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's something so deeply challenging that in my own life, it's small challenges. Mm. I think about that man and I think about that thing. So, so I suppose that the message is that, that maybe leadership is about just taking personal actions on big decisions on small things. That's it. Thank you. A powerful way to leave us, but thank you also for bringing your passion and curiosity to the conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode and please join us again for the next one. In the meantime, you can get involved with the conversation via Twitter or by seeing the episode notes for our contact details. Thank you again from both of us. Stay safe and take good care.